Hello and you are welcome to Dan and Dara Doability. I'm Dara McNicholas. And I'm Dan Airy. Dan, how are we doing? We're doing very well, how are you? We are joined today by Paddy Slattery, director, writer, producer. Paddy, you're very welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate you joining us today. Um, For everybody who can't see this because it is a podcast and it is on the radio, uh, Paddy is uh, in a wheelchair. Um, You're a quadriplegic. I am indeed, yeah. Can you give us a little bit of how you ended up in the chair? Um, how I ended up, my God, that sounds so final. <laughs> it sounds like a, it yeah, sounds like well, a dead sentence. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. I don't, I'm just, I'm not, I don't, I'm not calling you when I turn on. No, it just feels... Um, no, I, I. it's funny that... Um, yeah, it's... Because uh, we had a brief chat before we came in, and uh, disability is generally... Um, on the forefront of conversation when I meet people for the first time. It just naturally yeah. is the case. I don't know why that is. But it's, you know, there's a great phenomenon is that, you know, the more you get to, as soon as you get to know somebody, you know, those other, those aspects of, of ourselves sort of disappear and they're, they're irrelevant almost. So, I, like, I always find that when I talk about disability, actually in this environment, I think it's healthy because... Obviously, I think there's a lot people can learn from, I guess, our situation, you know, living with a quadriplegia. But in my day-to-day life, it's so irrelevant when I'm surrounded by people that I'm familiar with, family and friends, and, they, you know, they, they get to know you, and suddenly the, the disability disappears, as it should. Mm-hmm. It's actually, because I do, as you said, I work in the film industry, and it's only really when you meet new people for the first time and, it's 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 the topic of conversation, but it gets boring very quickly, and then we just move on, and suddenly it's a it's about the people, you know. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I, I'm quadriplegic, and I, like it, it might sound like I'm saying it for the sake of saying it, but when I did find myself in this position, it was it was the moment in my life when my, I guess the adventure really began. Um, and that sounds crazy to a lot of people because for many people it feels even the idea of if I was to tell somebody that you're going to be tomorrow you're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life it would feel like that sentence because I guess we 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 consider you know the ability to it's we forget how important it is until it's taken away from us and suddenly we're grounded we realize oh shit where do I go from here and I've been fortunate enough to be in a position where I couldn't go anywhere physically. But what once you realise that you've no other choice when you're in that position, the most amazing thing happens. And I kind of refer to it as the moment my, my body switched off, my imagination switched on. That's when I really started a journey in, in my life and started to go places. And funny enough, I rather than going outward, I initially went inward and I... I started to, I guess, discover who I really was inside and 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 what this whole world of disability was about. And again, funny enough, I, I discovered that, you know, we consider disability to be almost an impairment and a hindrance and a restriction in life. But it actually afforded me with some of the most liberating opportunities in my life, if that makes sense. Yeah, I suppose I, I concur with you completely because that's... I mean, that's something that we have 
mentioned a lot on the podcast before. Yeah, we do. We, we, we talk about that a lot, I suppose, and how people perceive you in a wheelchair. And, and yeah. We're, uh, we're in year three here in college, and, and, you know, I certainly don't see it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I, I've spent pretty much my life trying, like, I suppose, like you said, when you meet new people, trying to get them to see mm. me for who I am as me mm. and uh yes it's it's part of me but it, it's not it's not all of who I am and uh as as you as you have said it it, it does have slight benefit <laughs> um but uh yeah no I mean it's but I I know where Dan is coming from when he come when he talks about the wheelchair because we, we do talk about um how people perceive it and mm. You know, it's got nothing to do with Dan's ability here in college mm-hmm. and the input that he has in group work. It, it it's restrictive at times when it comes to mm. possibly getting his hand on a camera, yeah. or mm. getting his eye in, in into a lens and stuff like that. Yeah. But it really doesn't change the mm. the creative process. But mm-hmm. do you notice when you refer to restriction, the, the only real restriction there is because is is because there is a conventional way of doing things yep. and approaching things. And it's so ingrained in our society in terms of how things should be done and how things are done. Yep. And really, essentially, when you boil it down, that is what defines your disability. Mm. You're trying to live. It's, it's like trying to squeeze a, a cube into a triangle or a round peg into a square hole, as they say. It's That's that's where the disability arises, that you, with a an unconventional method or or, or technique of, of doing things, trying to fit into a conventional way of doing things. And and really what happens is, um, like we, we talk about inclusion a lot and it's so important, is that once the conventional way adapts itself to a new way of, of process or, or technique, you realize that you're no longer disabled. You can actually mm-hmm. do what the hell you want and when you want and where you want to do it. You know what I mean? And that that's, I think, the greatest misconception about disability is um, that people will look at me and consider me as a person with a disability when in truth it's actually society and mm-hmm. conventions and traditions that actually disable me, that actually hinder me and prevent me from going certain places and doing certain things. So I guess once we um, rewire our, our, um, our, our current understanding of what access actually is, it's actually the restoration of accessibility and ability in, in our lives, and and that's why I say when I'm in my familiar environment, my home, my studio, it's all adapted for my physical needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm in that environment, I feel very confident and comfortable and safe because there is no disability there. So when you're out on set, then. Mm. How how does that change? It it has to change, and 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 that's it is tough. I'll be honest with you, because I just recently made my first uh, feature film, and I'll be honest, there was more preparation work trying to I guess iron out the creases of potential uh, blockades, and and that took a lot of time and a lot of resources and just a lot of homework in order to make sure that if I'm going to be shooting a scene, a car chase scene or a foot chase scene running through a town, I need to do the homework on the logistics of me actually being capable of doing that as a director first. 
and I guess I, I guess an able-bodied director has the advantage of not necessarily needing to do that groundwork. But mm-hmm. again, that's what that's the definition of the challenges I face as a director. I have to do a whole mountain of homework and actual labor in order to facilitate my quote unquote disability. And I have nothing wrong with the word disability. I, I wear that badge with pride. But mm-hmm. that disability, that term disability, it doesn't define who I am. It's actually it's actually a reflection of the society I live in. And to be honest, I'll be on, like I'm I'm pig headed, I'm stubborn and I, I find that if there is a blockade, whether it's emotional or physical or if somebody tells me I can't go in there and shoot a certain scene there because of the access, I'll go out of my way to prove to them that actually I'm gonna shoot there one way or another and now we're gonna figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. And that's how we, I guess that's how we initiate change. Not just societal change, but psychological change. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. yeah so I, I suppose you, you you sound like you've got a crew around you then yeah. of people you work with regularly then and, and, and reliable yeah. individuals who know, right, yeah. here we go. Yeah. This, this is how it's going to be. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about being a filmmaker, especially because I do songwriting and poetry and all this kind of stuff but was that very, was that before filmmaking no all of this all of this existential examination came afterward um but but filmmaking is such an inclusive communal experience mm-hmm. that's why i love it so much because you're meeting so many different diverse personalities and it's not even diverse cultures or race but just diverse personalities and we suddenly realize that you know, at first when I meet somebody and they realize, because I never ad- advertise the fact that I'm in a wheelchair. I've met people for the first time in interviews, job interviews, and they say, oh, Paddy's in a wheelchair. I probably should have done my homework on that. And I will deliberately sort of disarm people in a way that um, that it might catch them off guard for the first five minutes of our conversation. But like I said earlier, it just, it just it's not an issue anymore. I know. It's funny you should mention that last year uh, we did... Uh, a short excerpt from Schindler's List. Oh. Uh, one of the scenes of was a requirement that we had to do it for for one of our CAs. And mm. um, we advertised for our for actors on Star Now. Thought never even crossed my mind. Never even, mm-hmm. never even thought about it. One of the actors I got on the day uh, had cerebral palsy. Never even thought to me. Never even yeah. crossed my mind as a thought. He arrived in and mm. it made no difference. Yeah, none whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But. You know, it, it there was no, there was no sort of he he didn't put up on his profile that he had cerebral yeah. palsy or anything like that, yeah. and it, it actually made no difference whatsoever. Yeah, he came in, acted absolutely fantastic, mm-hmm. brilliant scene, got a great grade for it as well, <laughs> which yeah. really helps. You know, yeah. but it it kind of it yeah. it shouldn't make a difference. It shouldn't be no you in know, an I, ideal world. It shouldn't. But yeah, I just think in any world. Yeah, well. Right now, we're not living in the ideal world. I'd like to think we're moving toward there, but right now we have to undo centuries upon centuries of 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 the notion that disability, whether it's uh, cerebral palsy or uh, MD or quadriplegia or, or whatever the case may be, blindness, deafness, um, it's completely irrelevant to who that person is. Mm-hmm. Um so obviously we live in a world right now where you're judged, you're essentially judged on a few different factors. One is your physical appearance, one is your race, 
one is your culture, one is your age, one is your uh, financial demographic. There are all these sort of, you know, preconditions yep. that we uh, and we. It's an unconscious bias. We all do it. I do it myself. I uh, I'm an unconscious bias racist. I I really am, and I say that. Uh, complete honesty. I, I'm not. I don't consider myself to be a racist. Where I go out there and, um, you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I just I believe mm-hmm. it's it's encoded in our DNA that we will look at somebody and and have a predetermined judgment on who they are and what they're mm-hmm. capable of. And that's something that we need to undo. And like I said, it's generations upon generations upon generations of this psychological. The, the 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 cyclical behavior that we need to undo, and in an ideal world, you could bring anyone in, any race, color, creed, whatever, audition them for a part in a film, and they'll get the part based on their performance as opposed to their physical appearance or their physical disability or whatever. That's so, what I was going to say to you. Is that do you see film as kind of a vehicle for change, maybe in terms of changing people's attitudes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. That's the reason I got involved in filmmaking, poetry, songwriting in the first place. It was a sort of a. I kind of went on a mission, and I don't want to sound. It sounds so corny when I say it, but after I had the crash, I found myself in this physical situation. I had to figure myself out very quickly for the benefit of my mental health. So I went on this internal quest. This who am I, mission, crusade, or whatever you want to call it. And in the process of figuring out who I was, I started to discover that the information that we were ingesting on a daily basis, ritually, religiously, not just in Ireland, but globally, is information that we bring in through media, through Mm. different forms of media, printed media, uh, uh, cinema, music, all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking... Because I looked around, because here I was, paralyzed, but happy out. I, I kind of discovered who I was. I fell in love with who I was. I felt so confident and strong, and I uh, had this motivation to go out and prove to people how capable I actually was. Yet here we were, surrounded by this, this sort of, you know, uh, just, a, a, just an epidemic of of depression, mental illness, suicide is also prevalent. And Actually, I think the, the straw that broke the camel's back, as they say, for me anyway, was when two people close to us in, in my, my village where I grew up, two people I went to school with, one girl that I, I, I used to fancy and suicided, two young people in the whole of their physical health. On the surface, they looked like two... Young people with the whole world at their feet. The world was their oyster, at least on the surface. But what we failed to see was that the most important element of our happiness does not rely on how we are physically, how we are financially. It's completely irrelevant. It's how we feel emotionally, psychologically. And that was overlooked, and we lost those people to that situation. And I guess the aha moment for me, I'm not sure if it's the most apt term, but I certainly did have a light bulb moment at that point, was like, why? Why are people killing themselves? Why are people feeling like 
the best thing that they can do in their lives right now is actually end their life. What does it take to put a person in that position? And then I didn't have to look too far. I just looked at the world around me, society around me, and the information that we were feeding ourselves on a daily basis through tabloid media, through music, through film, all of these superficial, materialistic, capitalistic, empty, soulless stories that we're feeding each other on a daily basis. And it's no different than pumping junk food into your body, pumping these junk thoughts into your mind. And we, we wonder then why people feel lost, alone, confused, and angry, shameful, and guilty. Is because what we're doing is actually subvertively, we're, we're disconnecting people from who they really are because people are spending so much time relying on what they can get in this life. What can they accumulate? How good looking can they be? How rich and how famous can they be? Because we're fed this lie through the media that in order for you to be successful, you need to be all those things. You need to be rich, good looking and probably famous so wouldn't you know wouldn't harm matters so that was my selfish reason for getting involved in the media i realized that we right now in 2018 2019 we have the power of communication at our fingertips literally to impact and influence people on a global scale instantaneously through social media through song through film and i'm thinking like, I'm not very religious, but imagine a gentleman called Jesus Christ once upon a time lived on the earth 2,000 years ago. And now imagine somebody... Alle allegedly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> allegedly. But, but I believe somebody of Jesus Christ's nature did once upon a time exist and was radical and was revolutionary and did want to change the world for the better. Now imagine handing Jesus Christ an iPhone and handing everybody else an iPhone. Now spread your message. If Jesus Christ had the technology that we have today, can you imagine the impact it can have on lives? The only sad thing right now in the world is that there is this overwhelming, subtle influence on our lives in a negative way in order to transform us from sentient beings into consumers. But but is there also is there not possibly a Jesus Christ out there now? We're just not hearing him because there's just so much information. And there's a power for good, but there's also a power for bad when it comes to technology yeah. and interaction. That's exactly it. And I do believe there are, I think we all have it within our capabilities to be Jesus Christ. Just like we all have the capabilities of being Hitler. It's really a question of, what are the f what, what's the fundamental information that we have ingested in our formative years? And what have we inherited emotionally from our, our, our closest circle, our, our family, our parents, our grandparents? What's in our DNA structure that will create the, the environment we need to be that Jesus Christ or that Hitler? So I do believe we all have the potential to be that influential. But I guess it's a question of, you know, you know, which influence is going to grab a hold of us quicker. And the easiest way to manipulate people is to disconnect them from who they really are. And as soon as you disconnect a person and they feel feel like they need to reach outward to feel, I guess, part of life and to feel stronger or more empowered, the moment you do that is the moment you can control people. 
and that's the problem with media and technology nowadays is that they're they're now these these technologies now are becoming so i guess intelligent now that the corporations can use i mean even as we're sitting here we're being listened to we're being observed there are algorithmic systems that can build personality profiles on us in order to best extract our money in in order to create this consumer world so we're not really considered human beings or sentient beings to corporations we're considered customers or wallets yeah yeah Yeah. so so we've got on one hand we've got this invisible war of of good versus evil if you will so we've got the corporations and these governments that are trying to control us and, and turn us into consumers and sheep and, and, and conformists. And on the other hand, we've got people out there, artists, creators, influencers, teachers, students, whatever you want to call it, out there trying to actually impart some some positive information into the world that will actually encourage people to figure out who they are and, and, and encourage people to, to grow and to love and all that kind of stuff. And I don't care how idealistic that sounds. It, it, it is a little but. I suppose they still want to get paid too. Yeah, but then... You, 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 can, be, you can be as idealistic as you want, but you still got to put milk in the tea. Bread on the table, all that kind of stuff, and they're very practical needs. But I think our understanding of what payment is should evolve as we evolve, as we become, I guess, more in tune with our higher intuition, is that payment... Payment shouldn't come in the form of money that we're just going to ha- in one hand and out the other. Payment really should be the, the fulfillment of the experience. And it's that old saying, uh, you know, success is the journey, not the destination. And, and I, I kind of live by that motto is that I don't care if I'm not getting paid. I mean, I, I'll get enough to get me by, keep the wolf from the door, mm. keep the bank from the door. And that's fine. That's all. That's all I need. But I don't need to accumulate this irrelevant wealth in the bank sitting there making derivative money for a bank that's going to just make more money for the bank you know what I mean I know we have some similar here I suppose from, from a learning point of view it's not you know it's not about the grade at the end of the day it, it's about the journey and getting there and what you yeah. learn but yeah. we are graded yeah you know so it really makes a difference if we make, we make a really lovely film yeah you know that might be slightly different but we have yeah. to get a grade at the end of the day so if we don't get yeah you know so the journey's fine but the destination is also important. Yeah, that's important. And I do agree, you need, you need to hit particular you know, benchmarks or whatever to, to, to qualify for particular roles, professional roles in, in careers and that kind of stuff. But again, if I was given a choice to be mediocrely successful in terms of career but live such an emotionally fulfilled life, or, on the other hand, have an incredibly successful career, win 40 Oscars, and have the world at my feet in terms of industry and, and, and film industry potential, and be completely empty and, and, and depressed and, and laden with anxiety. Mm, I'd go with that. What, would you? <laughs> I wouldn't. You, you would for a while. You yeah. would for a while. Yeah, that old carrot angle in there yeah, sounds could, attractive. Could, could, could quite happily cry in my Lamborghini yeah, you yeah, know yeah. <laughs> have we learned Ooh. anything from poor old Orson Welles <laughs> at Citizen Kane actually um, but no the, I think the more we realise the more we have in terms of finance 
and things, materials, the less we actually have emotionally. It's true. Yeah. And it's probably easy for someone to say who, like, thank God I'm in a position where I'm not, I'm not broke. I'm not desperate for money. But I can guarantee, because I have been in a position before where I needed money. And if I need money, I know how to go out there and get it. But get it in a way that's fulfilling to me and mm-hmm. not in a way that's actually going to compromise my own integrity. You know what I mean? Yeah, there, there is a movie out there somewhere with a bank robber in a wheelchair. We haven't worked it out yet. Ah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's good. No, it is. Because it's, it's one of the slowest police chases ever. <laughs> we're, st- we're still working on it. Uh, we will get there. But just on, I suppose... Uh, disability and how it's portrayed mm. on screen, be it the big yeah. screen yeah. or the small screen. I think I'm, I'm very interested to, to hear what you think about this because, you know, you mentioned earlier about about um, mm. people seeing you as you, you know, mm. and I'm just interested to see what your views are mm. on yeah. the representation of disability yeah. as it is. Yeah. In so the if, film, if there was if there was two camps, we'd say the one mm. of disabled people on screen should be played by disabled people, mm. or uh, disabled people should be played by actors because that's what they do. That's mm. what they're paid to do is is to yeah. act. Well, see, that's the popular debate right now. And well, we, we like popular. We're not. we're not averse to popular. But I'm glad it is a popular topic. And in fact, I contributed to it, that debate recently. Some of my views were considered controversial, some are not. But here's the thing, it's I don't think it's about should an able-bodied actor play the role of a person with a disability. I don't think that's the question. I think the problem is when I see somebody like me portrayed on screen, somebody with quadriplegia, for example, mm-hmm. I want to see an honest portrayal and not somebody who is going around being a victim all the time and being Mr. Disability and and being suicidal and depressed because he's in a wheelchair and whatever else. And because that's not a fair representation of what my life actually is. So here's the thing, right? In the film industry, there's, there's an important factor that people forget or fail to consider that there are so many logistics to making a film, physical and financial. And say, for example, Brian Cranston, is that his name? Yep. He played the person with a disability recently. Yep. And he got a lot of shtick for it. And I thought his, his answer was, was, was accurate. In fact, I'd recommend anyone that's listening to go to a Hollywood roundtable conversation between the actresses. And Glenn Close answers this question so beautifully and eloquently and it's right now we're in a world and in an industry and we're in we're we're in a social state right now where stories are told a particular way characters portrayed a particular way and if in an ideal world which i hope we're moving toward so when we can tell stories that focus more on the personality as opposed to the physicality we'll actually you know, we'll actually start to realize that somebody that comes in and auditions for your film who may have cerebral palsy can portray any character that you want them to portray because we're not really not interested in what his physical or, or speech impediment might be once he gives us an honest portrayal of what that character is. And the thing is, right now, 
the sad truth is that there are just not enough actors with disabilities in the industry. And there's a few reasons for that. And the main reason for that is that there are not that many healthy roles written for people with disabilities. Mm. And secondly, it's not an industry that many people with disabilities head head into, you know what I mean? Because yeah. does that make sense? No, it does. Yeah. We, we have, we, we've discussed this ourselves plenty of times. Like it's, it's why we have to write scripts here in, in college mm. as as part of each year we you know we do screenwriting and we do we, we work on it so you know over a class of 30 odd people mm. nobody trying with disability mm-hmm. you know mm. even the guy with disability mm-hmm. isn't writing but I, I think as well I think it comes back to the thing I think we're conditioned mm-hmm. not to mm-hmm. because and I don't know whether you agree with this but I think because we don't see it Mm. enough yeah and I think that's that's definitely something for me I mean I it, it has grown mm. you know recently but uh, you know for me growing up and to now um, there's not I mean you have Mad Max you have Avatar Fury you have, also, yeah 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 Things like that. Um, the, the Rock with his missing leg and mm, skyscraper. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those things, it's it's like you said, is it accurate? Yeah. Well, see, that's, in my opinion, most disabilities, and, and certainly in Hollywood movies, they're, they're, they're used in an unhealthy manner. They're mm. used as... Um, they're used as a device to, I guess, introduce some kind of a dark emotional complex in that character you know what I mean they're not used in the most healthiest way and in fact they're also used to elicit sympathy from a character mm-hmm. or they're used as inspiration porn you know what I mean they're just they're just not the healthiest mm-hmm. form but the thing is um, like you're talking about like my feature film I'm probably going to get a stick for my feature film doesn't feature a person in a wheelchair doesn't f- feature a person with a a um, a hearing or visual or speech impairment. It, it doesn't, and it wasn't something I had even considered when I was sitting down writing that script. I have loads of scripts. Some of them have impairments in them. In fact, my next feature that I'm in development is actually some someone with a visual impairment. But that aside, I'm probably going to get stick for telling a film that doesn't portray. Uh, I almost feel like the fact that I am a wheelchair user, I almost feel like I should be obliged to tell a story. Yeah, about that's what I was going to ask you. Actually, like, do you think there's, there is that obligation kind of from the industry? Maybe okay. So like, there's this automatic kind of mm. assumption that you are. You're right. Uh, you're right uh, from a strength, uh, really, to a certain extent. Yeah, mm. that you are kind of a disabled filmmaker, so you must. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By default. Yeah. Have, you know, this yeah. kind of. One for you, and one for the studio. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That you must have that kind of yeah. in your armory somewhere. Well, it's like my friend John Connors. Uh, you might know him from. He was an actor. In he was here. Love hit two weeks ago. Not talking oh, to us yeah. particularly. He was in giving a talk because his one man show was on over in the Civic. Yeah, he came in and gave a talk and. Yeah. Terribly interesting. He's part of the missing missing episode. Incredible guy. Incredible speaker. Very articulate and very very, you know, very wise beyond his years. 
But John almost by default had to pick up the baton for travellers. Mm, he said that, yeah. You know? He, and got, he got the mic in the face every time something went uh, wrong. Yeah, and I feel for him because there's so much more to John's armoury uh, and intellect than traveller issues. Now, mm. traveller issues are out there, absolutely, and he's doing incredible work in order to, I guess, change the conventional uh, perspective on travellers. But I, I'm sure there are moments when John gets up in the morning and thinks, Jesus Christ, I just go out there and do my job without this flag waved in my face. And, mm. and I feel that I'm probably going to be in for some of that at some point. But here's the thing. Like I, I was saying earlier, like disability for me is, is not necessarily, shouldn't be based on my physical or sensory impairment. It really shouldn't because from what I've seen in my life, most of the people that struggle in life and most of the people who are living through anxieties and depression and even suicide are people who are in the whole of their physical health. But they're, psychologically, they are completely disabled. They're completely incapable of figuring out life, of figuring out themselves of, and, and being able to have a healthier perspective on life. And when when if somebody will approach me and say, Paddy, I don't see disability represented in your film. And I would disagree because my central character has a huge disability and it's an emotional disability. He's incapable of addressing a certain emotional issue in his life. And to me, and maybe I'm living off in a, some kind of idealistic notion of how life should be, but for me, that's the disability we should be focusing on rather than the very fact that I can't physically get my ass up out of this chair and walk up a step. Mm. You know what I mean? It's so just irrelevant. because it's a conv- it's not a conventional disability doesn't necessarily mean it's exactly exactly it's, it's yeah yeah but, I completely agree yeah. yeah so so like yeah I think we what we need to do is redefine what disability is because it's not just people with physical or sensory impairments you know it we, would certainly help us psychologically if the world can you know came to our doorstep and said, how can we make society better for you? You know, that kind of way. Here's a question for you. Would you redefine it or dismantle it entirely? Redefine it or dismantle it? Um, I Dismantle it. See, disability is there. Disability is there. It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's being incapable of doing or saying or seeing or feeling a particular thing. Um, so it's always going to be there at disability in the, the definition of the word in the dictionary is being incapable of doing things and there will be disabilities. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Let me throw that question back at you. What would you do? I mean, I just kind of tend like I would I would like I said earlier, I kind of define myself as differently mm. abled. Mm. So it, it's kind of I, I've always kind of seen it as. Yes, there's things that I can't do, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean I can't do them. It's just mm-hmm. I can't do them in the same way that everybody else can. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I, I can still do things. I just have to do it in a different way. Yeah. Do you know that kind yeah. of way? Um, yeah. And I don't know whether you, you find that. With no, I, I used to refer to myself as physically challenged. <laughs> Right, okay. <laughs> because, again, I, I just wanted to get away from that label, disability. I didn't want people yeah. to consider me to 
be somebody who was incapable of doing things. When here I was at a time in my life discovering psychologically anyway that there was nothing I couldn't do. There was nowhere I couldn't go. And I not just apply. It wasn't just psychologically after a while I started to implement that that philosophy into my physical life. And like I said, I was stubborn. If there was a blockade, I would charge through it. Mm. Um, but there are two ways to solve a math equation, you know what I mean? There's the conventional way and then there's another way. And it just so happens that we need the other way to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you sound like my daughter, actually. Do I? You do, yeah. A wise yeah. lady. I she is, actually. She's, <laughs> a very, she's a very wise lady when it comes to maths, anyway, yeah. She would, yeah. It's kind of like, teacher tells us to do this way, but we'll get it done. Yeah. You know, so it, it is going to get done at the end of the day, yeah. kind of one way or another. It's not going yeah. to... Well, here's the thing. The, the more we have this discussion, and thankfully this conversation is happening globally. Now, it's they're a little behind in... I don't like using the term third world countries, but countries where education is not as readily available um, and internet access is not as readily available. There is, um, I guess, a trend in those environments where, you know, disability issues, human rights issues, equality issues uh, are a couple of steps behind us. But mm-hmm. we are living in an information age now where we're having conversations openly and unfiltered. That's why the rise of the podcast now is that these conversations can be unfiltered because we're not at the mercy of a corporate sponsor. You know what I mean? That's why like probably Joe Rogan probably has the most popular podcast in the, in the world because Coca-Cola or McDonald's doesn't, you know, he's not there whipping by, you know what I mean? He's not influenced by them and he's not. So this information, I, I was up until four o'clock this morning watching documentaries on YouTube. And I'm thinking, again, that's probably addiction anyway to my devices. <laughs> but... I'm just taking in all this information. I was just, just mind-blowing. So much access to information. And this is the privilege we have right now in this westernized society. It's not just Western, it's Eastern as well. So we have access to this unfiltered information that is is educating us. And like I said, the more our understanding of what everyone's ability actually is, the more we will see a healthier representation of disability in story and the more we will see more people from the disability community moving into that realm, and then we won't have that issue. So I don't think it's I don't think the argument should be should Brian Cranston play a person with a disability in a film. That's not the argument. It's how are we portraying people with disabilities in media, and once we can figure that out and t- tell healthier stories, the rest of it will fix itself. It's like it's like if we want a healthy tree, we don't go up and massage the branches. We throw water into its roots and we nutrients into the roots. So it has to be foundational and also generational. I think we are of a generation now that we are we are the open-minded generation now that we're, why we're seeing an influx in inclusion, social inclusion, is that um, we are now asking the questions that previous generations were afraid to answer, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But again, we're moving into a world where we're relying more on the psychological endeavors of life as opposed to the physical. Because generations ago, it was about survival. It was about meat on the table. It was about a, a warm house to live and sleep in. So uh, we're kind of moving out of the caves into space. 
we're doing that whole 2001 leap, quantum leap, in fact. And it's so profound right now that we are on the, the crest of a wave right now. And that's why I'm so excited about my life and my future is that we are actually living the transition from the physical to the celestial to the spiritual or whatever. And in that transition, it's almost like adolescence. There's a chemical change. It's a fundamental change. And we are morphing from these, you know, primitive primeval animals to -hmm. these celestial beings, you know what I mean? And in that transition, there will be resistance. There will be racism. There will be prejudices. There will be all that kind of stuff. But all those things are genetically encoded in generations that will take time to filter out of that psyche. And I can guarantee you, if we're moving in the direction we're moving, and if we don't detonate a bomb that's going to set us back 3,000 years, I believe that we will be living in a world where this conversation we are having now will be archived for historical purposes because we'll look back and think, wow, how primitive we were that we had to sit and talk about physical disability, how relevant that is to us now. I'd like to think 20 years. Maybe it'd be more reasonable to say 50, 60, because there will be the four-generation cycle then, mm-hmm. and our great-grandkids will look back on us and think, wow, you wet animals? Wow. That's getting me really excited, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah but I'm, I'm not, yeah. I'd, I'd be hopeful that I'm not, are you a pessimist? I would be on that. I would be on that because I'm. I just I mean, even think yeah. things that are happening now, and we're, we're we 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 talk so much about racism now, and we talk so much mm. about inclusion. And I have young kids, and I hear the conversations they're having. Mm-hmm. And I thought we'd come a long way, mm. um, but I don't think so. I right. think there's I think there's a backlash behind us mm. uh, that's gone from, you know stop seeing I wouldn't say stop being so inclusive or stop being mm. so cuddly to mm. you know they don't like it well like I said there's going to be resistance remember the old way sometimes like one man's poison is, is another man's medicine and right now this huge influx of open mindedness of inclusion it's gone so extreme that we let her run away with ourselves you know this reference to the snowflake generation. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're so offended by this that, and the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if we are to believe all that propaganda, our media would have us believe that being more open-minded, being more liberal, being more inclusive is an unhealthy thing. But yeah, but you're you're talking about we said the media, and that's the filtered media. Yeah. But they have access to absolutely everything. Yeah. Which is unfiltered, and yeah. you know, there's the consideration where the poor little brain, or the young mind can't make a def- make a, a decision about what's yeah. I wouldn't say what's right and what's wrong because that, that's yeah. that's not that's not what, that, what what's a question here but yeah. it's they're getting absolutely everything well that's you're up to you're up to four o'clock in the morning watching YouTube videos yeah yeah what are you getting and what's coming in and you you yeah. obviously will have your own opinion on on, mm. on what's coming in well I, I'd like to think that I'm worldly enough now to ha- form my own opinion you are however but my son like who's 14. Said, See, here's the thing. We're coming out of a way of life where information was pretty well rounded and boxed off and there was certain... Yes, thank you, Catholic Church. There was that. Church was certainly a huge influence. Mm. Um, Politics, huge influence. 
in terms of where our patriarchal loyalties lie and, and our racial uh, biases. Yeah, and the history and, and the, the 800 years and all of that. All that stuff is there encoded. However, kids of a particular vintage, you know, information that was coming in was more minimal. I mean, you were either a conservative or, or a hippie. Now there are so many different perspectives and kids have to try and figure out who am I in this whole melee of information that I'm getting. And if, But right now is probably the toughest time for parents to be parents because I, I think it's true. I'm not a parent myself, but I see parents around me. But it's true though, isn't it? How do you filter what goes into your child that you can't. resonates with your moral and ethical beliefs? You can't. You can't. Because the corporations own your children, essentially. Well, it, it is it is that, but we don't we don't sit down and watch television like we normally would. No, but we're in we're still ingesting information. Yeah, I know, but I mean we. Something. Yeah, but but they have mm. it. They have access to it unfiltered. Yeah. So, like, my yeah. son will come home and and he'll sit in front of not the same television yeah. as I'll sit in front of, mm. and he'll stick on his Xbox and he'll go on and play Fortnite with his friends or FIFA or whatever he's on, and then yeah. suddenly he's watching YouTube videos and yeah. then he's having chats and whatever and stuff. Mm. So I have no influence on what he's doing. To a degree, yeah. No, well, no, to no degree. Yeah. Really, uh, the only thing I think we ever watch sit down and watch together is probably rugby. Yeah. And that's it, you know. Yeah. I'll knock into him. I, I, I've, I'm not saying he is kind of free reign to go much whatever he wants. Yeah. Like we, we do absolutely. have conversations and stuff, but yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. He has, he has his iPhone. Yeah. And off he goes, and he, he meets his friends, and yeah. God, he knows what's going to happen. Like when you and I were kids, mm. there simply wasn't. You came home and you got RT one yeah. plugged into the back of your head. Yeah. And Nintendo was coming in though. Nintendo sixty four. I had an Amstrad four six four. I was yeah, yeah, way yeah. ahead of the curve. It was coming in, yeah. But the thing is, it's the moments between the devices that parents need to grab a hold of, like the mm-hmm. the, the the meal times. You need to bring the meal time back to the table, rather than scattered all over the house. Yep. Which I see in uh, at home. Um, we need to. I guess we need to celebrate some of the, the, the in-between times where they're getting ready for school, they're getting ready for beds. They need to be very personal and they need to be they need to be the moments when a parent has an opportunity to impart their influence on their child, mm-hmm. indoctrinate their children. Well, no, no, no I, I totally agree. And we, we're, we are the dibbles at home for having dinner at the table. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it happens pretty much every day. Yeah. You know, and then some days it, it doesn't. But, mm. you know, Sunday dinner is still Sunday dinner in our house. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. You know, you're the side of a hill or, you know, yeah. on, a, on a football pitch, Sunday dinner is Sunday dinner. Mm. I think you, for me, I have I kind of, well, to say I live by this philosophy, but I like to think that uh, time is the greatest gift that no one can ever receive. Mm. Because you have it. And then it's what you do with it that counts. Yeah. Oh, that's deep. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah, I like yeah. to go. I like oh, to go. Oh, that's quite deep. <laughs> that's deep. But uh, you know what? I think we treat time like we treat money. We're always indebted to it. Yeah. We, we never have enough time. You know what I mean? Like you just gave us the two minute signal. <laughs> I did pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we, we, we could be. Yeah. I have a funny feeling we could be here till tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and I think that comes back to to what we were talking about earlier. Is just like the most important thing for me is that people give me the time mm-hmm. to get to know who I am. Mm. And then once you get to know who I am, you can either go away and say, I don't like you or, yeah. Yeah. or look at me and like, and be like, 
I want to know more about you, whether yeah. that be from a from a career perspective or personally or, yeah. or something like that. Mm. Well, if we can undo our biases, our judgments, and like you said, meet and greet people from that sort of level playing field on a personality basis, on an intellect basis, then how exciting might our human interactions be then? Mm. So then you're actually judged by your, your intellect and your integrity and your personality rather than your physical impairment or your financial situation. Imagine a time like that. It makes me happy to imagine it. That's what I can say. Yeah, it, I'm not saying that. It motivates me. <laughs> to imagine it. That's what, it, that's what I mentioned, to imagine it. I mean, we can always, we can always strive for it. We can strive, but that strive word is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Stri- to strive for somewhere is not quite there it's that mentality of we need affirmation we need it now mm-hmm. and that, that's where we rather than striving to war from one place to another because we're subconsciously creating a distance between us and that we need to apply the Gandhi philosophy we need to be the change mm-hmm. we want to see in the world if exactly. we want that world we have to be it now not think about it and talk about it yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Mm. What happened to Gandhi in the end? Yeah, he was betrayed. Ah. But look, he didn't. <laughs> Gandhi mm. is a complex character too. Yeah. Ga- Gandhi's not the saint that we know, but you know, there's a f- also a saying that never idolize, should never idolize your heroes or your icons, because at the end of the day, they're human too, and they're also adhering to certain conventions of society. And yeah. Gandhi has done things in his life that. You know, I'm sure he's not too proud of. I bet he is, and and that's what they say: winners write the history books. Yes, history you know. is written by the winners. That's true. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end it. <laughs> Listen, Paddy, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank, thank you very thank much. Thank you very, very much for coming in. Uh-huh. Um, and we wish you all the best with your future endeavors. Thank you so hopefully, much. Hopefully, we'll get to to chat to you again sometime soon. Yes, absolutely. Thanks. I hope some of what I said made sense. It certainly did. It certainly did. <laughs> no, it, it definitely did. Um, so, for everybody else, uh, you can get us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Dan and Dara Doability. Uh, you can drop us an email at Dan and Dara Doability at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been Dara McNicholas. And I've been Dan Airy. And we'll talk to you soon.